Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 29 for Friday 3rd December 2010. Ignore the water cooler and be like an ostrich. Your head is in the sand and your backside is in the air. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. You can find this and other tech-related podcasts at techpodcast.com. This Week in Lotus is sponsored by TomTom. Check out the brand new TomTom Fire Live 120 with built-in HD traffic, speed cameras, hands-free calling and much more. Details are at thisweekinlotus.com slash TomTom. Well, hello and welcome to episode 29 of This Week in Lotus. We're back for another episode of uh, discussion and collaboration around the uh, the Lotus uh, software space. It's great to have Darren Duke on the call as always. Hello, Darren. Good morning, Stuart. How are you? I am very, very good. Thank you. We're recording on a Thursday now, so uh, it's a bit different, a bit later in the day too. Yeah, I have to remember to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sure Lisa will remind you. (laughs) I'm sure she will. (laughs) Excellent. It's great to uh, to have you on today. How's your week been? It's been a bit of a weird one because of Thanksgiving. So it was quiet towards the beginning of a week because I guess people were catching up on the multitudes of email and then it got busy towards the end of a week. And then with us moving Twill, uh, recording of Twill, it's kind of, it just seems like a weird week. <laughs> Indeed. Well, this time last week we were discussing uh, whether Lotosphere acceptances would be out by this week, and we've still not had them yet, so uh, I guess we're still looking forward to that sometime this week if we can. And that's kind of interesting, because I believe the, the, the cheap price expires tomorrow, right? It does. It does. And we'll come to that a bit later on. We'll be discussing Lotosphere 2011 towards the end of the podcast, so we'll come back to that. There may be a tip there as well. So this week, we're joined by a number of um, folks that are looking at social business, social collaboration, enterprise 2.0, whatever you, you want to call it. So we're going to kick off with Luis Suarez. Good good afternoon, I guess, where you are, Luis. Hi, Stu. Yes, good afternoon over here. Thanks for having me again. It's great to have you back on the call. How's life been with you since last time we spoke? Uh, it's been hectic. That's probably the worst word I can describe it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's great to have you join us today. So thanks for coming thanks. on. Thanks and for having me. Just to confuse everybody, we also have another Luis on the call. We've got Luis Benitez. Good good uh, morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. It's it's great to have you on this week in Lotus again, Luis. How, how's life with you? Uh, good. Uh, although... I may be a bit slow today. I don't know if you guys were following my tweets last night, but my, my flight home last night was five hours delayed, which meant that I, I got home uh, at five in the morning, so a couple hours ago. So Ouch. <laughs> I still, Ouch. I, yeah, I still haven't had my coffee or anything, so I'm trying to slowly wake up here. <laughs> oh, dear. Excellent. Of yeah. course, I, sh- I should have mentioned both of you work for IBM, uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll cover your jobs as we go through the list of topics today. Also due to be joined by Susan Scripsey, who uh, unfortunately isn't available just yet, but if she comes online, we'll bring her into discussion as we go. 
So our first topic today is um, congratulations to somebody on the call, to Luis Suarez, who was announced to be Enterprise 2.0 Evangelist of the Year. Wow, what a title. So what, what, wow. that, what does that mean, Luis, and who, who gave you the award? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, actually, it's internal evangelist at Enterprise 2.0 of the Year. Um, it's, it's actually... Uh, a recognition, an award that is is given and, and sponsored by the 2.0 Adoption Council, um, hosted by the um, uh, the Duchess Group, and what it basically tries to do is it tries to recognise the work that uh, council members have done in their own uh, corporate environments, trying to help accelerate the adoption of social software with um, you know all of the various activities that may come up. So every year they sort of like nominate candidates. And they sort of like collect input from everyone who may want to submit those various different nominations and everything else. And uh, then at a certain point in time, uh, which is usually the Enterprise 2.0 conference in, in, in Santa Clara this time around, they go ahead and announce who actually is the winner. And last year was Claire Flanagan from CSC, and this year is uh, me. So, woohoo! <laughs> part of, part of, you know, when I mentioned part of being hectic is actually due to that because the amount of buzz and comments and emails that I had from people is being just like, gosh, like, come on, stop it, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think I'm to blame for that because uh, when I heard the announcement on Twitter, I posted it on my internal status update in, in connections at IBM and I said, hey, you know, uh, Luis Suarez just won this award. He's on vacation. So make sure that you send him an email, you know, wink, wink. And <laughs> apparently people took it seriously and <laughs> they started emailing that Luis Suarez, which is not a very good idea. Um, well, that's just yeah, screwed up. That just screwed up his stats for how many emails and monkeys been getting. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I tell you what, you know, I had so many emails that week that it made the second week with, I mean, the second week this year with the largest number of emails on 44. Just like, excuse me, like what? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but it was good fun, though. You know, it was good fun to seeing all of these uh, IBMers sending in those emails, congratulating and and you know uh, saying thanks and and for being out there and helping out all the people. You know, adopting all of these different social tools. So it was all along. It, it's been basically a huge adrenaline rush, and uh, so far I'm enjoying it because um, it's getting all all sorts of of public recognition as well on the stuff that's been happening inside of the company. So that's I'm, I'm just basically the face of what's happening behind the firewall. And certainly, Luis Benitez has got um, a huge deal to do with it because he was the one who first triggered people into um, somehow. Um, pay attention to what was actually happening with the nominations and everything else and, and contribute and and then start stirring the pot a bit here and there and uh, before we realize like whoa okay you won it like I'm like what okay <laughs> that was good fun so what was the prize Luis did you get a massive trophy um I did get emails. a massive uh, no 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 <laughs> I did get a massive trophy that is supposed to be swimming across the ocean because I haven't received it yet. It was supposed to be shipped over to where I live, obviously, and um, it hasn't arrived yet. And, and I have been told that it weighs a ton. So um, um, it's going to be interesting to see whether it arrives in one piece or not kind of thing. <laughs> and so it, it might be worth just covering, you know, why were you awarded... The the um the you know the the prize in terms of you know clearly you work as part of a team within IBM that evangelizes about social software um so 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 what's the team called where are you set up how do you go about that work 
Right. Yeah, that's 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 very true. It's, it's more than, you know, even though it was given to an individual, it's I see it more as a recognition to an entire team. Um, and it's actually a group of people within the software group uh, called Blue IQ. We are eight people uh, across the globe. I'm the only one who is in Europe. And then we have, of course, someone else in Toronto and then the rest of the team is in the US. And, and we have called then a satellite community of evangelists which is coming closer now with another sister community to 1,600 people worldwide in 50 countries and, and with a wide representation of the various different lines of business. And basically, um, the recognition is, is to sort of like uh, um, demonstrate how the program itself has been working over the last three years in, in trying to be that catalyst, that change agent that helps uh, IBMers understand how they need to use the social software tools as business tools, as part of you know, how they conduct business, not only internally, but also in externally. Uh, initially, we had a rather specific target audience, which was client-facing teams. But because of what we do, everything out in the open, and we share all of the materials uh, that we produce, uh, obviously behind the firewall, since we do the client, uh, the internal evangelism, but we do have also some external resources available out there. Uh, but the interesting thing is that um, we moved from, from that small audience or relatively small audience into the, the whole company uh, at the moment. And, and um, all along, all, most of the activities are along the lines of providing the education, enablement, um, coaching, uh, facilitation, consulting, um, advice on, on you know, how to change habits, how to transform the way communities and teams and organizations work and how you know, they have been using traditional collaboration tools um, and how perhaps there may be uh, better collaborative tools out there for knowledge sharing activities along the lines of what social software tries to, tries to put forward into the table, right? So our, our mission is basically trying to ensure that people understand that these tools are here, that they're not going to go anywhere, and that um, soon enough, uh, they, they will be probably the main way of how we're actually going to collaborate, not just internally, but also externally, kind of thing. So but there's, I guess moving from eight to, I think you said 1,600, that, that, that's a pretty big increase, even, even from an IBM gargantuan kind of size. Yeah. So, so, uh, so how are you guys kind of handling the, 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 the rollout of this? Because that, that is kind of a big number. Right, it's, but let me explain what it is. You know, they, they, we have got the core team group, which is the team that I'm part of, uh, which is fully funded and, and it's funded by Steve Mills. Uh, that's the group of eight people. But then, obviously, our mission is initially was to evangelize sixteen thousand, right? But because we we took the approach of being very transparent and being very open about what we produced and how we produced it and enablement materials and sharing everything on blogs and wikis and microblogs and everything else. Uh, we realized that very soon we were jumping into the rest of the company, right? So we're going into the 400,000 people. So we realized back then as well that having eight people evangelize 400,000 was going to take a lot of time and perhaps a lot, eff a lot of uh, extra effort and energy. So what we decided was to take a very um, down-to-earth, pragmatic approach of going out there, find out what other people were doing already social software evangelism inside of the company. So fellow IBMers who are, you know, truly passionate about social software, who have been living it for a few years already, and who have been working with their own uh, individual teams, right? And what we did was, you know, we, we sort of like proposed to them to have an opportunity to build a community around it, to have a sense of belonging, right? To have a sense of saying, you know, we know that you guys have been doing this isolated in your own teams and your own uh, perhaps a smaller, relatively smaller community. So how about 
if we go wider, if we go larger, right? And, and that's when we actually facilitate to the creation of that community of evangelists, which are basically our right arm. They are the ones who execute the activities that we propose from the core team, right? So we, we have got a wide range of activities that they can engage with, and then it's up to them. Uh, it's an army of volunteers, so it's up to them to pick up the activities that they feel more comfortable with and go out to their teams and their communities and then make it all a, a bit of a viral effect. And that has has resulted in, in an exponential growth on how people have been using social software inside of the company, in particular with, with Connections, which is our main enterprise social software collaboration tool, right? So the idea was that uh, we didn't want to start from scratch. We didn't want to reinvent the wheel. We said, you know, we already have got really, really strong evangelists out there, uh, lots of influencers inside of the company who have been living these tools already. Uh, why don't we go and propose to them to actually you know, join efforts and become a community and have that sense of community and, and work as a community of evangelists and social software enthusiasts trying to spread the message around. I'm one of the leaders of that community with one other colleague, Josh Scribner. Uh, and what we do is we're trying to ensure that you know activities are happening, that people are able to find uh, each other, that they can network informally with one another, that they can get educated themselves on, on topics that are what actually is happening around social software. So in a way, it's, it's a way of nurturing them so that they can nurture everyone else into facilitating the move of, of using social software tools. And, and certainly it can, you know, you can look like it, it, you know, 1,600 people is, is, is a lot of people. Like I said before, it's, it's one community and then there's a sister community of around 400 people, nearly 400 people for rationale. Um, alone, but then the other one, the larger one, is is the one that you know has got a, a a huge growth. We started with around 50 people three years ago, and then we went from 50 to 1600, and it keeps growing up, right? Uh, so that that certainly details the huge interest that is is um, you know social software is gaining uh, inside of IBM as a way of of you know looking for ways to become more productive, more efficient, do a lot uh, more work with less effort. Uh, that whole thing that we have been claiming some of us of, you know, working smarter, not necessarily harder. And certainly that community has been fundamental in driving uh, most of the activities that we're proposing, so to speak. So, Luis, you mentioned in that um, a, a few times social computing, social software, and, and there's been a, a huge number of different terms being used. And over the sort of 20 years or so, I've been looking at this kind of area. We've talked about groupware, collaboration, right. now on to Enterprise 2.0, social media, social collaboration. Now social business seems to be the term that IBM's using. Is this just part of the same sort of continuum, or is, is there really a sea change going on at the moment between what we know as collaboration and, and what you're terming social software or Enterprise 2.0? You know, to me, it's all it's all very similar. I mean, I know I know that there are differences. You know, if you talk to people about social media, uh, I, I, for instance, distinguish between social media and social computing, or, or social media and enterprise 2.0. Right? Social media is what you do externally. It's it's how you communicate with external parties, whether they're customers, business partners, or other thought leaders in the space or whatever else. Right? Enterprise 2.0 is more down to uh, the internal social software. Right? And and now the whole the the whole new theme that is coming up now with social business, uh, you know there there are lots of various different definitions out there. Dutch's group were the first people that coined it, as far as I know, uh, a couple of years back. And and to me, the way I I see social business is is a, as a way of uh, putting together something that we have been having for a few years already, which were which was based on on the same 
uh, key principles as to how knowledge management came about, which was striking for a balance between people, process, and technology. Enterprise 2.0 fits in within the technology part, right? And social business is the, the equilibrium, the, the balance between the three of them. What's, what's been happening for a good number of, of years is that vendors especially, vendors and consultants, have been uh, putting themselves more on, on, on the area of technology and making it all based on technology. And, and one of the things that is happening with social software is that it's bringing the people aspect back into the equation, right? So it's, it's for the first time, is is the focus is not on the tools, it's not on the processes, it's on the people who actually execute those business processes using those social tools, right? That's to me what social business is all about, right? And And that's how I understand it and that's how, in a way, if you compare it to how KM uh, started back in the, around 15 years ago, uh, I will probably venture, and I know that a, a few people are not going to like this, but I, I'm going to venture to say that we're not inventing anything new in here. We're just basically using different terms for the same key principles back then, right? And, and the interesting thing is that hopefully we will have an opportunity to not make the same mistakes that we did back then. Probably we, we, I'm hoping that we have learned the lessons from the past on what worked and what didn't work. So that this time it works. D Darren, you, you sort of deal with, I, I guess, more traditional forms of collaboration. You do a lot of work with messaging and, and with quicker and so on. Is is this, do you, do you see your customers kind of getting this, this sea change, understanding what we mean by social computing and then really embracing it going forward? I, I think there's a generational and, and maybe even a type of business disconnect. And, uh, and and I think Louis said it said it well that you know people in IT and especially consultants like you and I, Stuart, we we collaborate a ton behind the scenes, and I think that kind of gets lost. And and I find it interesting as well that you know it's just been said that enterprise 2.0 really is nothing different from from what knowledge management was. And I guess connections at its heart is is really nothing different than K Station, different platform, different set of tools, but same kind of idea. And and I think. You know, a lot was lost in in the in ten years ago when when people were sold knowledge management and didn't quite get what it means. And and I think bolting on another word, enterprise 2.0. You know, at least adding the 2.0 means means at least some people are starting to say, "Did we miss a 1.0?" Well, actually, <laughs> yes, you did. It was ten years ago. Um, so I, I don't know if the the generational gap of, of people who are who still to have to embrace even on a personal level things like LinkedIn or, or, or Twitter or that kind of stuff. I, I think organizations ran by people who don't understand social at a personal level are probably not gonna understand social at a business level. What I do kind of think is I kind of disagree with Luis a bit here is I think the enterprise two two point oh moniker to me means I'm I'm now socially collaborating outside of my business boundaries, whereas I think Enterprise 1.0, K-Station, Notes, you know, mm. that kind of stuff, I think was inside of my organization. So I think there's a bit of a differentiator there, which I think also scares people. Yeah, but, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, you know, people have always been social. We have, I mean, if you look into it, I, I know a few people inside of the company who claim that social interact or, were, was already happening with the uh, VM forums back in the late 60s. And that was not just, that was not just for teams or for groups. That was corporate-wide, already starting there with the forums, right? So, 
it may it may have been you know it may have been clunky it may have been you know too techy focused as opposed to what social software is doing which is you know relatively easy to use or whatever but that corporate wide focus was there already what happens is that it was happening in between silos and the mission now from social software is to break those silos but in most cases it, you know it, it was already you know the, the seeds were already there right and and I, and this is actually something that i keep saying to people that if if you're uh, company, if your business does not have the right corporate culture of openness and sharing, it's going to be very tough for enterprise to point out to Sen and, and I would agree with that. And I think if it's hard, as, as we've talked about on this show previously, you know, get getting, for instance, Lotus Notes adopted, one of the best things to do is put in a discussion database or, a, you know, I've got crap for sale database. And that kind of breeds the exact social interaction I think you're talking about inside of organizations themselves. And, and you're exactly right, Lewis. You know, discussion databases, you know, bulletin boards, whatever you want to call them, have been around for decades. Right. And, and in a way, you know, what's happening, I agree with you, though, that, what, and, and this is obviously something that I have been saying as well, that what we're seeing with Enterprise 2.0 is we've seen that, that move or that transition from personal networks into community networks. And one of the things that happens with communities is that they don't have any boundaries. They don't have any organizational boundaries, time band or time zone boundaries, or even geography boundaries, right? So it's, it's just an opportunity for people to uh, connect and collaborate with people because they share common interest. Right, and and I, I and then one of the things that we're seeing is is how we're making that transition into people who were just looking, and I agree with you on that one, who were just looking into their teams because those were the people that were, you know, were doing the work. And I mean, I I go back to the day when I remember that I was used to working one single project the whole day. Now I'm lucky if I work in just like you know four, <laughs> five, six, seven, or whatever <laughs> for a minute, right? So that complexity is something that didn't happen ten years ago, and it's happening now. So it is also part of an evolution of saying, you know, now I I need to get in touch not just with one team but with multiple teams, right? So it's, it's that that frontier of saying, you know, I no longer need to work in a silo. I don't long I no longer want to work in a silo. So that's when. When you know social software tries to break that model of saying you know we need to start thinking more about how networks work, how communities work versus just traditional teams, which are basically traditional silos kind of thing. So I don't think I don't think that we're in disagreement. I think that you know the premise is pretty much the same. That is is helping people become a lot more uh, open, a lot more transparent, a lot more a lot more clear in what they do. It's and and it's it's, it's having a, a a huge impact in the aspect of narrating your work, right? And, and how comfortable pe people feel about it. And I agree with you that there may be some people who do not feel very comfortable at narrating their work um, for whatever the reason kind of thing. And, right? and that's, that's kind of an, an interesting point of view is, you know, I think the fact that we're all on a podcast and we all have a blog tells me that we have absolutely nothing to lose by people rating our work and I think we have to work to change the mind shift of, of other people that you know there are multiple differing opinions and at certain points they can all be right you're not necessarily wrong if you post something on a blog for example or in, or in a community and, and I think trying to break that down has, has been one of the issues to answer Stuart's question that, that getting that in that you go in and you say well look our, our business, FESTS business, is pretty much based on on on, mm -hmm. on the premise of being social, right? We're, right. We we only get business from people who who find us and know us. Right. We have a distinctly disadvantage to IBM in that matter. Uh, and and when when we're trying to sell or influence social 
X, you know, add in whatever you want, computing, media, collaboration, business is the X. Mm-hmm. You always get the interesting pushback. Well, of course you want to sell that because, of course you want us to implement that because that's a product you're selling. And, and trying to get past the CIOs and, and the CXOs, uh, look, the more you open up, the better you are going to be. It's still kind of an interesting, interestingly hard conversation to have. Right. And, and you know, it's, in, it's interesting because that was the exact same premise that KM started back then, right? As a way of saying, you know, how can I be... How can I how can I can promote a knowledge sharing culture in in a business in a company when most people feel that knowledge is power, right? So if I release my knowledge, I release my power. So that's that you know. Unfortunately, we seem to still have people who feel that way very strongly, from the perspective that they feel that you know if I protect my knowledge, I protect my position, right? Uh, whereas you know the whole thing that it's been disrupted with that kind of thinking from, from enterprise to entrepreneur in itself is how it is not about knowledge is power, it's actually knowledge shared is power, right? And what is happening there is we're seeing that transition of how people uh, are finding it more difficult by the day on, on hoarding their knowledge and not sharing it across because obviously one of the things that is helping sharing all of this knowledge openly is helping accelerate how the information flows, is helping people find experts much easier. And, uh, and therefore, you know, find the information they need uh, right when they need it, right? So one of the things that is, is <clears throat> one of the things that uh, it, enterprise entrepreneur is provoking is, is certainly a help accelerate how businesses operate, right? So it's, it's and this is this is one of the things that I keep telling people how it's not really about the tools themselves, it's more about how you change behaviors, how you influence behaviors in a way of saying, you know, this is how we used to work for a good number of years, it may have worked, it may not have, right? But it may have worked in the sense that we have that false sense of being very, very productive. And all of a sudden, we have all of these tools that introduce us to new patterns of behavior, that introduce us to new ways of collaborating, that introduces something that we all seem to have very diffi- lots of difficulty coming to terms with, which is change, right? Into doing something better, right? And, and that's the whole premise of, of where, you know, social business is going, where the social angst, as you want to call it, uh, will be moving. That is, is helping people understand that, you know, even though you may have uh, felt that you have been proactive all along, uh, don't neglect the fact that there may be better ways out there for you to become even more productive, right? And that's going to be relying not just on the work from you and your team. It's going to be relying on the people who you do not know, the people who are part of your networks, right? The weak ties, the weak ties that we have always been saying. You know, if, if there is something that people will tell me, yeah, but how do I... How do I kind of inspire that kind of movement inside of the company and say, well, you know, the easiest way of or the, the, the easiest way of doing it, you know, you know, not talking about blogs a week is, is actually through activity streams, through microblogging or microsharing, where people have very, very low barriers of entry. And that allows them to sort of like open up to a whole new world of, you know, rather finding experts or looking for experts or finding information or sharing information. And when people start seeing those stories coming to them personally, that's when they go, wow, yeah, I can see this now kind of thing, right? And I guess that's one of the challenges is, is to make the the transition obvious and smooth and, and easy to to kind of embrace for companies and not in a sense, alienate either the companies or the individuals involved. I mean, it's, I, I find it so easy as soon as you start talking about social for people to kind of roll their eyes and say, that's not for me. You know, that's that's for the youngsters. That's for, you know, uh, startups. That's not for my traditional manufacturing company or for my generation. And I, I guess it's one of the things I'd be interested in is that as you go around IBM, I'm sure you meet some folks who are of a more traditional nature. How do you kind of get those 
concepts across them without kind of offending them and pushing them away? You know, um, I'm sorry to be blunt on this one, but the discussion about the generations is, is a fallacy. There is no generation divide. I can give you an example. My team, I'm, I'm one of the youngest members of the team. So there are people slightly older and perhaps, you know, a little bit older than what you would think. And they're using the social software tools just as much as I do, if not more, right? And, and one of the things that I have as well is that even, you know, when we talk about our senior leadership, when we talk about people who are, uh, you know, distinguished engineers or whatever else, they're using the tools just as much as everyone else is using. I don't think that it's a problem with generations. I think it is a state of mind. I think it's a, it's a working style that needs to play here, right? So what we're trying to do is we're, try, we're not trying to identify it as a generational divide or, you know, whatever term people use nowadays, but we actually tend to think more on the lines of, you know, working styles about, you know, this is how in the company, and this is, this is true for IBM, right? I, I know people who are working with four different generations in the same team, four different generations, and they all use connections, right? So the idea, the idea there is, is to sort of like demonstrate that this is not about, you know, the young kids using all of these uh, cool tools and everything else. This is more about how do you want to do your job? How do you want to be more effective? How do you want to fix pain points? How do you want to be better at what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? You know, for people, there may be people out there who will say, yeah, you know, I'm fine. I'm very proactive on my own. I'm making sheer loads of money. I don't need this crap. We go, and actually this is something that we have learned. Um, we go and say, okay, fine, don't worry, you will come back later. And we focus on the people who want to change, who want to, you know, who have identified areas that need improvement, right? And, and typically we find those areas on their day-to-day -day tasks. You know, there, there are a number of different repeated tasks that people do every day, whether it's, you know, file sharing, hosting e-meetings, um, finding experts, finding information, uh, sharing links, you know, all of these various different day-to-day -day tasks that people do. So what we did was we actually focused on the ones that people find it the hardest to go by. You know, the ones that people find it very difficult to go by because they, they, they hinder their productivity and everything else. And what we're trying to do then was we're trying to uh, ensure that they understand how, you know, that pain point can be addressed with this particular feature of this particular social software tool. Nothing about, you know, an entire rundown overview or the whole application and what it does. That we actually found out at the beginning of the program that we were wasting our time with that. We focused basically on the business objective of that individual, which was, hey, I need to do this. I'm not feeling, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not feeling unproductive enough today. What can you do to help me? And that's when we go and tell them, you know, these are the options that you have, this one or that one. And by the way, not only are we going to give you the options, we're going to show you how you can make that change. So that's when we provide the enablement, that's when we provide the, co the coaching, the facilitation, the reverse mentoring in most cases. So it all becomes more like, like a peer network support of people who are very active over in this space, who are very productive themselves because they have lived all of these social software tools for a while, and who want to transmit that to people who are willing and, and listening on to changing the way they work, right? And that's what we're after. We're after more after the change of behaviors and, and, and attitudes than more of saying, you know, this is just for younger people. Uh, like I said, you know, and this is, this is something that most businesses need to start getting as well because, you know, the, the, your best target audience for social software is actually the older you can get because that's where most of the experience is. Yeah. And there are lots of ways. There are lots of ways of getting that. You know, you can go ahead and introduce new different ways of capturing information. 
and and you know you may have and 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 Darren, let me let me just say this one because you know I know from a lot of people who say yeah, but I don't like to write, you know, I don't like to have a blog, and I say like okay, but you do like telling stories, don't you? We all love telling stories, and then people tell yeah, I like telling stories. So why don't you put together a podcast? Oh, by the way, I can record it for you, and we can share it. That knowledge transfer using social software tools was not there before, and it is now, right? So in a way, you're capturing some of that knowledge as well by instigating a change of mentality and ensure that people understand that this is not about you know generation kind of crap that it's more about you know how do you want to become better what you do kind of thing and and maybe i should have not used the word generational because in 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 uh, as, as I'm getting old, uh, generational to me means anyone older than me, and that's starting to get a, a, a smaller and smaller <laughs> crowd. Me too. <laughs> um, so I probably need to stop using that. But really, what I meant is a, a, an enterprise that I would deem an enterprise 0.5 in 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 the in in maybe the capability and maturity model that we used to talk about back in the software engineering days is you know ma- making these kind of organizations taking them from an enterprise 0.1 or 0.5 through to 1.0 and then on to 2.0 and beyond is, is really what I meant by generation. I didn't mean as, as in an ageist generational statement. I meant in where the organization is today. And what I will say is I think us as IT companies and also probably educational establishments, they're, they're probably at the cutting edge because that's what we do. We, we don't know any other way. But when I'm in a manufacturing company that has maybe a single AS400, you know, running their ERP software and, and a Domino instance, that's that's a whole different generational in terms of, of enterprise computing, let alone social software. And, and how do we get them guys from, from there to where we are today? You know, it, that, that's very true. And actually, I, I know of a couple of companies who are fitting just within that profile. And, and what actually happens is it's, it's all... It's all down to how they see themselves. Do they see themselves as a labor-based company or do they see themselves as a knowledge-based company, right? If they see themselves as a, as a labor-based company, they will always remain 1.0 or 0.5 or whatever you want to call it because they don't depend on the critical task of sharing knowledge to get the job done, right? Uh, however, in today's world, where we're more distributed, we're more virtual than ever before, there's going to be a growing tendence, a trend or tendency where people will go and depend much more on knowledge than ever before. And therefore, they just start making that transition into knowledge-based uh, companies, right? Uh, now, here's one typical example that I do now. You know, 10 years ago, uh, I don't know about you guys, you probably work in, in the same profile as, as I did. I was capable of doing my job on my own with no further help. Today, there's no a single five-minute time frame where I cannot do my job without asking someone else for help, assistance, information, contacts, content, whatever else, right? So that that's also a, a growing need for businesses that, uh, you know, they can no longer do the job by themselves. They need to depend on other people. And here's, you know, here's the whole thing for social business, where there's going to be a growing demand, if not already, but there's going to be even bigger and, 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 gosh, a lot bigger in 2011 and 2012 from customers demanding that they collaborate with their vendors 
participating in what is known as a co-creation process, right, where they provide direct feedback mechanisms engaging in these conversations. Now, for those manufacturing companies, if they want to stay in touch with their customers, they need to find a way to channel through those conversations. And, and one of the, you know, people tell me, yeah, but, you know, sometimes I don't even see a computer the whole day. And I keep telling them, yeah, but you do have a smartphone, don't you? You use a mobile phone, don't you? So that's your entrance into the internet world. That's your entrance into the enterprise 2.0 world. Most of the social software tools out there, they do have mobile capabilities, right? Obviously, perhaps they're not as fancy as sitting in front of your computer, but they still allow you to keep in touch with people. They still allow you to reach out to people, right? I mean, if you know... If you want, if you're in one of those manufacturing uh, facilities or whatever, and then you all of a sudden you need to uh, do some particular task that you don't know, and you don't have anyone around, don't tell me that you don't do the task. You basically go and find someone. You pick up the phone and you call someone, right? So what happens if that someone doesn't pick up the phone? Where do you go next? You go to where, you know, a potential social software uh, tool environment could be like, right? Uh, the, the typical example, if you look into connections profiles, you look up for the profile of the expert that can actually help you in a matter of seconds. Right? So that's, that's the entry point that I, I think that will differentiate between businesses that want to behave and live the model of the 21st century and businesses who want to move into the 21st century where knowledge is going to be key to help accelerate that innovation that has been happening in businesses. And, and one of the interesting things that we didn't have in the 21st century that we are going to have uh, in, and that we are having already is how customers will be demanding more and more that they want to participate from the products they buy from the vendors. And participate means influencing what they're actually going to be buying, right? With that direct feedback mechanism. That's when it gets really interesting because that's where it's, that's actually going to set up the frontier, the next frontier for the enterprise uh, as, or for the corporate world as a whole, which is basically leave the firewall behind. There will only be like a small fraction of information that you will need to protect, you know, intellectual capital, IP rights and whatever else. But everything else... Everything else is going to happen outside of the firewall. And the main reason for that is that, you know, the companies who are prepared to make that jump are the companies that customers are going to flock to tremendously. If not, they're just going to move on onto someone who does. And that's, that's you know, that, that's the key differentiator as to, you know, how ready is your business to participate from this co-creation process, from depending more on knowledge than just depending on labor, uh, for wanting to change uh, a corporate culture mentality from a, a close siloed mentality into an open and sharing and transparent kind of uh, mentality. And, and don't take me wrong, it's not easy. It's going to require a lot of effort, it's going to require a lot of energy, it's going to require a lot of years. But the sooner you start, the better you will be off. And, and I, I, I do kind of agree. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with, with, with someone and they, they were saying the exact same thing. We, we have tips in two, you know, the videos for Lotus Notes training. And we host them on YouTube because we don't want to pay for that kind of bandwidth. So, you know, YouTube was blocked at their firewall. And they said, how, how do we get around this without unblocking just individual movies? Well, just unblock everything. You, 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 are, a, you are a search-optimized company. You are not a consuming-optimized company. And so they were able to find the content. They just weren't able to make use of the content because of these archaic you know, security rules that come in. And, and I can kind of understand where they come from. And there's entire industries built up around this. So that's, that's a big kind of stumbling point for us as well. Um, but you know, it's one of them things where you know, we need to change. You're exactly right. We need to change the perception. And, and, and the firewall you know, as, as a barrier to, to block stuff and, and like the web filters of the world, Either they need to change to be more useful to the employees and the consumers, 
or they just yeah. need to be superseded by something completely different. To be honest with you, to be honest with you, I think that in the next two three years we're going to see them die at a low, slow, painful death, but they're going to go. Um, and like I said before, there's going to be whatever the new mechanism is going to be called, or whatever the, the process is, but. We will just have an opportunity to to have a, 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 some sort of like a firewall that will protect the key information, the critical information, like I said before, intellectual capital and IP law related stuff um, that you know companies drive on, right? But everything else, if you look into everything else, uh, all of that, everything else is gonna is gonna flock tremendously fast to outside of the firewall. So the firewall itself will have two choices: adapt and move on. Or cease to exist. Now, whoever is looking after that kind of uh, infrastructure, I will need to think very carefully how they're going to do it because, you know, like I said before, and we're seeing that in inside of the company as well. We're seeing how you know people who used to be very powerful internal bloggers, they're actually moving outside and they're moving their blogs outside. Even executives that used to be blogging inside, they're blogging outside, right? So we're seeing that that move from people wanting to to say, you know, uh, I need to go where I have always need to be, which is with my customers. My customers are not behind my firewall. My customers are, you know, on Facebook and LinkedIn. They are using SlideShare. They're using Twitter. They're using Delicious. They're using all of these tools. That's where I need to be. That's where I need to engage with them in conversations. If I don't do that, I'm missing an opportunity. And then people tell me, yeah, okay, what opportunity are you missing? Well, I'm, I'm missing the opportunity that those customers are talking to other customers about me without me not knowing it, without me not sort of like having an opinion or influence or perhaps an opportunity to you know engage in and and, and constructive feedback of how I can improve the way I do build products right so I, I need to be there right that's that's the premise from vendors that they need to be there they need to be where the customers are and right now customers are not in people's or behind people's firewalls and that's something that we need to come to terms with and quick but there, I think there's a couple of issues there that, that come out though. One, one is, is, is what role do IT have? You know, if we're going to get rid of the firewall and we're not going to host stuff on premise, we're going to host it in the cloud, you know, and it becomes about the people you know and the knowledge you share rather than about, you know, the, the servers you hit or the, um, you know, the networks you belong on, then, then that reduces the role of IT and therefore IT sometimes become a barrier for adoption of this kind of stuff. And, and, and secondly, I, I think the corporate hierarchy needs to change the result doesn't it it becomes a much flatter hierarchy it's all about right. being able to connect with the people you need to connect to rather than about which department they sit in or which geography they sit in so it, i guess that comes back to the culture thing doesn't it is cultures have to change to to let this thing happen it does but but let me let me say something that's very important there is too uh this new model of work through networks and communities is not going to kill traditional hierarchies Contrary to what most people think, right, you want to still have those traditional hierarchies and structures. What's happening, and I absolutely agree with you on that, is that they're going to become a lot more flexible, a lot more flattened than ever before, but you're still going to need them. You need to have a combination of both. The model that will work is the hybrid, the one that will be able to mix both a healthier network and community environment with the traditional structure is the one that is going to be the winner, right? And the good thing about it is that everyone can do it. Right? It's a way of it's a way of telling, you know, traditional structures and hierarchies, you know, what do you want to do? You wanna be part of the movement or you wanna be outside of the movement? Because whether you like it or not, if you're not part of it, people will leave you behind, right? And they will do their own thing. And that's when, you know, that's when the, the key role of, of those traditional hierarchies and structures, because what they will do is they will help facilitate that that transformation 
takes place on a wider scale, which is you know combining the grassroots efforts of bottom up, but also the top down. Right? There's probably nothing more motivating than seeing your executive blog about the stuff that matters to that person. It cannot be more personal than that to say, you know, if my executive is blogging, if my executive is microblogging, if my executive is willing to listen to his team members on what they're doing, what problems they have, how they struggle, how they can become better and everything else, the question remains there, what's my excuse if they can do it, right? Uh, that's the kind of transformation that needs to happen at all levels, whether you're you know, people on the trenches, where people on the executive string, all the way to the top, they are the ones who, you know, it needs to come as a whole aspect, not just one group and then, you know, let the other ones out. That's the kind of transformation that needs to happen. And, and certainly agree with you on that, too. It's all about that cultural change. It's provoking that cultural change. So I, I know both of you, Luises, and, and I use the term as well. Uh, talk about evangelism. Talk about the fact you're evangelists in your organization and with the organizations you work with. So the, the question I come back to is, did we have email evangelists? Did we have CRM evangelists? Or is this role we're talking about and, and that you've won an award for, Luis, is, is that new to social software? Uh, Luis Benitez, do you want to cover that? Um, interesting. So I'm not sure whether you know, there was ever evangelist for email because that's kind of you know, too old for me. <laughs> but I know, uh, I mean, I know from, from what I've seen that there's been a push to evangelize even instant messaging. So uh, companies that are still you know, trying to roll out instant messaging and you know, show the value to, to their employees, I, I know there's, there's certainly been a push for that. Um, I, you know, it's certainly not as big as push as evangelism for, for social software. Um, uh, the scope that, that I've seen uh, at IBM and, and other companies. But I, th I think, you know, part, part of the issue is that um, kind of like what, what Luis was just saying right now. So if, if, if it's not a business critical app, um, people are not going to use it. So then you have to kind of pitch to the employees, you know, the, the value, right? And so it's, it's very critical to, to get that, that executive support because um, otherwise, you know, it's just another tool and if it's just another tool then you, you do need to to go through this e e evangelism process um so that's that's i, I guess my take and, and I, I do think we had email evangelists uh, i am old enough to remember <laughs> and and i actually think in that respect it was it uh, or what before we kind of became formal IT, you know, when it was data processing, whatever you wanted to call it, before IT really became information technology. You know, it was, it was, it was the IT guys that saw that, you know, there's some benefit here. Let us push that out and I can start communicating you and, and put the, the, the inter office memo um, to, to, to bed. And, and I think the interesting thing today is fast forward 15, 20 years in the future, and it's now, as Stuart correctly said, it's IT being the barrier here. You know, we're all afraid of being the, the, the last of the blacksmiths, right? We don't want to be the person putting shoes on a horse when there's no horses left. And I think that's the barrier here is, is understanding that, that IT's, IT as we used to know it is a function that has to change. And I think in five to ten years, the IT we know in five to ten years will be so much different from the IT we see today. And I, I agree with, I agree with, with Darren on that perspective. But, and here's the thing, you know... Um, to me, when someone says evangelism, whether it's social software or anything else, uh, there's one key word that keeps popping up all the time, which is passion, and share that passion, right? So uh, I agree with, with Darren that, you know, we probably did have, 
you know, email evangelists and CRM evangelists or whatever, but their passion probably was not as, as passionate, if I can say that, as what happens today, for instance, with some of the various different evangelists on social software, right? And, and their passion is transmitted more than anything else, understanding that their primary role is not just to generate awareness, but it's also to educate people on why they are so passionate about that particular topic. So the idea there is to help them understand that, you know, this is the reason that I keep talking, I can, I can keep talking to you for years and years and I never get tired of. I believe in these tools just as much as uh, anyone else who's been using them could probably tell you. But the interesting thing in there is, is to have IT uh, joining that kind of evangelism, right? And, I mean, we have all been saying for a couple of years or two, three years, even more if you want to, how IT has been saying as a barrier. And then we all think, yeah, that's traditional IT, right? Uh, and I think that that's true. I think that the traditional IT is, is the barrier. But there are some or plenty of other businesses where that transition, where, where I, the IT department has started that transition into not being the, the, the gatekeeper, but being more the facilitator, right? Being more the, the group of people who say, you know, we understand your enthusiasm. We understand your passion about these tools. And what we're going to do is we're going to facilitate that that passion comes through by making technology available to you guys, right? That's one of the things, for instance, Darren, let me, let me just uh, finish up with this one. That's just one of the things that we saw, for instance, in Son of IBM when we started with the technology adoption program, TAP, where we had all of these pilot function, pilot projects, and, you know, we had all of the various different social software tools there for a while. And people start, you know, evangelizing about them and using them heavily and everything else. And then at the end of last year, the CIA office, or the group responsible for the infrastructure said, hey, we're going to move this into the corporate full production environment. Wow, that that created and generated such an exponential growth that it's been tremendous in this year, for sure. How they have adapted to the model of saying, you know, we can no longer ignore this. We can no longer stop it. We can no longer block it. We can no longer be the barrier. We need to be the facilitator. That's the kind of transformation that people have to do. And the next frontier, and that's the one that, you know, our CIO office is involved with, is to actually define the future of the workplace along those lines. And, and that's is getting people to transform not just from the business side of things, but also from the technology side of things, right? And, it's, and again, it's, it's not that one needs to fight the other one. It's that both of them need to nurture one another. They need to become one at that point. I, I think we have selective memory, to be quite honest, in, in, in this whole process. It, it's to do with the number of outlets or the number of ramparts that now I can go and blow my trumpet. So it looks like I'm more passionate because I now have more outlets, and the more outlets I have, the more consumers I have for my passion and my evangelism. Well, if you reverse 15 years in the past, you know, to, to ask to answer Stuart's question about was there email evangelists, I think it was that there was only two mechanisms to get the evangelism out. One was at a company meeting, an all-hands company meeting, where the CEO stands up and says, we're going to email, and everyone will like it. And the second was via company memo. So we only really had two outlets. So I think evangelism wasn't necessarily seen. But you are right. I think it was a passion slash hobby slash way of life. But once that morphs into a job, which is what IT or email or collaboration eventually became, then, right. you know, the, 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 the stick in the mud suddenly appear. Yeah, and, and you know, I think I think one key aspect that I want to I stress out here related to evangelism is education. I mean, I, I'll tell you what, if, if back then we would have been educated on how to use email properly, 
we would probably have a lot more email evangelists today than what we actually have. The fact is that we didn't. And this is this is this is uh, this is how I feel about you know how enterprise supono is transforming. That this time around, businesses through those evangelists are taking the time to educate the rest of the workforce on why it makes sense to use these new tools. Whereas before was, hey, okay, we call email, now you use email. And let's not forget, you know, back then, before email, people were using VM, right? That's a way of communicating. And, and the transition from one to another, those barriers that were there are pretty similar to the ones that we have today. Just the same thing as when people were told that they needed to go into the internet and most businesses said, like, there's no way that I'm going to allow my employees to do this. Or just when instant messenger once introduced 10 years ago, there's no way that I'm going to let my people cheat chat with each other, right? And they still say and that today. Right, so, and then they still sell it today. But you know, at the time, there were no sort of like instant messaging evangelists who had that passion coming through and say, look, I am enjoying these tools because they make me more productive. Don't take them away. We didn't do that back then, right? We didn't sort of like have that kind of energy and enthusiasm and, and sort of like having a core group of people that critical mass on a mission of saying, you know, we need to transform the way we do things because it may not be the most effective way. You know, I, I don't know what you guys would think about it, but if, if email would have been invented today in conjunction with social software, none of us would be using email. I'd, I'd agree with that. This is a fascinating discussion. Thank you, guys. And to introduce Susan Scripsy, who's joined us on the call. Hi there, Susan. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. You're <laughs> awesome. loud and clear. So you're executive director of the 2.0 Adoption Council, I think. That is correct. So what do you do there? Well, the 2.0 Adoption Council is a, uh, it's basically a, a community. We'll call it a community of active practitioners who, like Luis, have the responsibility of bringing uh, what we'll call the, two, the grand 2.0 transformation to a large enterprise. And it's, uh, it's not limited to any type of organization, with the exception that it must be a large organization. But it's primarily, a, again, a community of active practitioners who are trying to get this job done in a very large enterprise. Okay, that's great. And um, so, so given the, the conversation that you've listened to us discussing, I mean, what, what, what's your point of view on, on is this new to, to social software? Is, is this whole evangelism, this whole sort of cultural change piece new with the last two or three years? Or is it something that's been going on over the last 20 years of collaboration groupware and it's just a new version, a new way of working? Well, you know, if I look at this through what we have been historically calling Enterprise 2.0, right? So it really begins and ends with the, um, let's say, the passion that ignited around the time of the the first internet wave, right? So say Internet 1.0. Um, I think that, that that is extremely different. There was, there was something very, very big going on in terms of a profound, uh, we'll call it a societal shift, right? That really got started back then. But now, because of the, the power and the ubiquity of these tools, now I, I think that this shift is much more intense. I mean, there's much more uh, of a, uh, uh, how can I say, a, um, a, uh, and the ability essentially to to create something 
radically new in the enterprise that has never been able before. I mean, I, I would be very suspect if anybody was saying they were a passionate email evangelist. I'm not sure if you discussed that before, but that's what's different. The tools have now enabled this, this radical change that is also mirroring some of the sentiment and philosophy that's going on in society. So that's what I would say, that it's, it's absolutely different. I would completely disagree. I think evangelism is completely a function of how many outlets I have to blow my own trumpet from. For example, if, if I'm a, a religious evangelist and I'm not on the TV, I'm called a minister. I'm not called an evangelist. So while I agree that we didn't use the term evangelist 15 years ago, I think it's because we didn't have the number of outlets to blow these trumpets from. I think it's a rampart issue more than anything. No, that's okay. We can disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think, you know, uh, like, I don't know how, how email came into the workplace, whether it was email came to work first and then to the consumer world, but at least with the social software piece, which seems to have come, you know, mostly from the consumer world now into the workplace, it seems like, you know, at least when I talk to customers, you know, you mentioned the whole concept of social software for work, and immediately I see their eyes rolling back and, you know, imagining people just sharing, sharing <laughs> photographs of people at bars and restaurants and, not being very productive, so I think and diplomatic um, cables and stuff that, like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it, it, well, I was going to kind of driving some of the need. I was going to I was going to go ahead and add something else as well that is is it's along the lines of what Susan has been mentioning as well, which is the fact that you know for the first time, and this didn't this didn't happen with email back then or instant messaging. For the first time, what we're trying to do is we're trying to. Uh, make the enterprise a lot more consumer-like. So there's a tool suite out there that people enjoy using for friends, relatives, and getting in touch with other people. And they're seeing the huge benefit of using it from a personal perspective. So what they're saying is, you know, if we're using it and seeing it from a personal perspective, and that's where, you know, mentioned Susan as, as a society, you know, how it is changing us as a society in general, uh, why can't we take this into the corporate environment? Now, what happens, obviously, that the corporate environment has got different other issues, you know, like, I don't want my people to be social. And then in reality is, you know, but your people have been social all the time. It's just that you didn't want to say it, right? So it's, I think that one of the things that we're saying is how this, uh, all of this, you know, the, the whole landscape under the Web 2.0, how all of these different ways of thinking, ways of behaving, of sharing or wanting to share and everything else, uh, people are seeing all of these benefits tremendously uh, helpful for their day-to-day -day and they say, you know, what if I can bring this into the business? How can the business help me to enjoy again being at work? You know, this is, I, I was last week on, on one event and one of the comments that I had from people is, you know, I'm, I'm not sure my business would want me to have fun at work. And I responded, and I'm sorry to be very blunt, but I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I said, well, I think that you're in the wrong job. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong job. <laughs> and, then I, I, and then the person said to me, what do you mean? And I said, look, you have to think that one third of your lifetime is dedicated to work. The other second third is dedicated to sleep. So you only have got one third of your life to have fun. That's very sad. So if you don't have fun at work, you need to make a stand on that and you need to bring it back into work. I mean, if we look into... You know, I, I, this is when I, and this is actually something that I learned from people who've been inside of IBM for over 35 years. That's what it used to be like back then. People used to have fun at work. You know, the water coolers that were there, people having together with, you know, our club meetings, or whether we're sharing hobbies, or we're sharing family days and everything else. In today's world, coffee. where everything is, 
Right, free coffee, free meals, <laughs> whatever else. Right, so people would gather together for lunches and everything else. So that aspect of having fun, we lost it as we became more virtual, more distributed. And social software is bringing back that social virtual water cooler back into the game. So I, I agree with Susan here that this is more now, more around you know who we are as human beings, right? Who we are as as what we want to do, and and the benefits that we have seen from tools and, and, and behaviors that we have witnessed out there on the internet and how we want to bring them back into the corporate world. And I, I have a, a question for Stuart here because because we, we don't work for IBM, we don't work for big corporations, but we, we do work with an awful lot of different companies across the globe, as a matter of fact. Yeah. So, so Stuart, how many of your companies are you, how many, what percentage, what ratio of companies you work with use instant message inside of a corporation? Every single one, as far as I'm really? aware. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm I'm exactly almost the opposite. I would say maybe ten percent to fifteen percent. Okay. And I, I I don't know if it's a continental difference, whether it's an organizational difference or whether it's a, a, a type of business difference. And I think that's uh, would would be an interesting conversation to have at a later point. And I think that's all to do with sort of collaborative maturity, if you like, isn't it? Is is as these companies adopt these things, how far along the the kind of growth line do they go? I, I think part of the reason for that bias is that you know I, I deal with social computing. You know, Global Connections and Quicker is what I do, and therefore I will be in companies that are ready to adopt or ready to discuss these kind of um, technologies, and therefore they've probably already been through the instant messaging wave at some point in the last ten years, anyway. So a question I have for Susan is if, if there's somebody listening to this podcast who is, is working for a company that has uh, a, a sort of a love for social computing, understands what it means in terms of Twitter and Facebook and, and wants to begin evangelizing about it in their organization, where do they start? How do they get going with, with bringing that kind of technology into their business? Well, it's a good question, Stuart. <clears throat> I would say a few years ago, that was happening quite a, quite a lot, right? So you'd have an individual basically who had the religion, right, and wanted yeah. to do something internally. Um, but I will be honest with you, those, those early efforts where you just had a single individual who was passionate, right, and who wanted to try to get his, perhaps his department or his work group working socially, um, those were successful at, on a limited scale. But because of the sophistication and the maturity of this space, now it's much, much more important to raise your hand and get in front of some senior executive that says, look, I know what this is and I know where to find out how to map this out and plan this. So they, they really need to make the effort internally to get some level of senior executive support and budget, right? And the, the opportunity to get some budget to start doing a pilot and, and doing something much more planned, much more strategic. Um, because I will say that some of those early efforts, although there was a lot of excitement, there were a lot of blog posts, there was a lot of, um, you know, references to, to how, how, uh, how excited the individuals were that were involved in those, those early deals. Um, they really didn't go anywhere because they didn't have the full spectrum of what was needed to be successful. So, um, so my advice would be find someone, some other, uh, you know, especially someone in an executive level or a senior management level who can sanction the effort and then put some serious strategy behind it so that it makes sense for the business, right? I mean, it definitely makes sense for the individuals for all of the reasons we're describing because it, you know, it, it makes work fun and it's more productive, but it really has to make sense for the business or it's just not, it's not going to happen is, is probably my answer. 
And, and, and I would add that, you know, when you're looking for senior management, you know, look for that executive that really needs an aspirin, you know, that, that executive that really has some kind of pain. And then you can, you know, somehow map, uh, you know, social software to that pain and, and you know, show them how they can easily uh, address and, and, and solve that pain with the, you know, with whatever platform or collaboration tool that, that, that they choose. Effectively, it's all about business cases and use cases, just same as any other technology has been, rather than about technology for technology's sake. Absolutely. And, it, right. and a lot of times, right, it's not, it is not only about the technology, because it really is about sizing up what the business opportunity is going forward. I mean, we at the, the, at the Dodgers Group, we definitely posit that all business will be social business. It's just a matter of time. And whether you want to be reactive because someone in your ecosystem is pulling you into it. It could be your customers. It could be your suppliers. It doesn't matter whether you want to react to big changes that are taking place in your market or you want to be proactive. <laughs> That's kind of where we're going to be separating the men from the boys, I think, going forward. So if, if we, again, if, if, we, if listeners to this podcast have a wish to, quote, evangelize about a technology that they really believe is right for their organization, whether it's, you know, X page of development or it's CRM or it's, you know, whatever tool it is, are, are the techniques of getting that message out and getting it adopted the same, whatever kind of technology it is? I, I probably can chip in on this one very quick. Uh, yes, there is. And, and in most cases, it's not about reinventing the wheel. It's just basically listening to what people are already saying in your organization. So find those evangelists who are already doing and walking the talk on whatever the actual product and gather them around. Gather them around and give them that sense of, of having a, a bigger mission, of having something larger, of belonging to a community where they can drive activities as a community as opposed to just one or two individuals. Uh, it, and this was this, this comes actually to, as a topic of, of a, a blog post that Alan Lepowski shared a long while ago on whether evangelists, tech evangelists, should be back. I think they are. They've never left. I think they, it's just a matter that uh, evangelism now in the corporate world is starting to have the same positive flavor that any other activity could have in the past. Whereas before, you know, people were thinking that, you know, that's a techie, that's a nerd or whatever. And no, it's just that you are passionate about a particular subject, whatever the product, whatever the topic, whatever the customer it is, and it's just letting that shine. And, and in most cases, there are people already out there who are they doing it. So gather forces around them and keep moving. I, I could add just one thing really quickly in that um, in this era, again, the, the individual like Luis is such a perfect example of a person doing this. He's not necessarily someone who's just bringing a new way of working to the workforce. There's this certain element of being a change agent, someone who is actually looking at the future and trying to build it. That's, that's very different, I think, than some of the other technologies that we've faced in the traditional IT space. And, and Susan, you, you mentioned early on when you introduced um, the Enterprise 2.0 Adoption Council that you dealt with large organisations. Is why, why was that decision made to, to deal with large organisations? And, and how would you describe a large organisation? What's, what's the number of users you tend to talk about? Um, well, I look at the, the size of the employee population because, again, at the end of the day, this is about, you know, for lack of a better word, it's about seats, okay? So it's about <clears throat> being able to roll out, in IBM's case, what, to 400,000 um, employees, this new way of working, right? So I wanted to choose only the largest organizations that had more than 10,000 employees because those, those companies, which essentially is the global 2000, my feeling was if we can accelerate the pace of 
of adoption and change in the global 2000, we will literally change the world. <laughs> so I wanted to start with the largest, you know, fish in the ocean so that, you know, if you see that, that GE and Exxon and, you know, the largest companies in the world are doing this, then it's, it's fairly going, it's going to be a safe and proven, you know, business methodology, right? So that's why I started with the, the largest. And the, the cutoff point is definitely you must have 10,000 employees or more. Okay. Although I do make some exceptions, to be quite honest, especially in Europe, because you you don't always find the biggest corporations that are based in Europe. But I guess the same techniques work in organizations of all sides. So may, maybe once you've captured that that knowledge at that level, we can make sure it gets used at organizations below that threshold too. Something else in the social space that, that's been discussed this week is there's been a, a little bit of a uh, an argument in the Lotusphere about um, Twitter in terms of whether it being a good um, agent really for communication whether it engenders good behavior amongst people that take part in twitter or whether it's a way in which people tend to be less cordial or um, you know affecting the message that people share so darren do you have a view on this i mean clearly use twitter is, is it something you can see that point of view in i i think it, any medium can be used any way for any means and i i think the 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 long and the short of it is that I, I think if, if you're going to put yourself out there, either blog, Twitter, whatever you want to be, is I think you need a bit of a thick skin. And and I think just giving up and saying, I'm leaving, I'm going and playing in another sand pit, I, I don't think is, is a good idea because, you know, the ostriches always prove that if you just bury your head in the sand, you leave your backside exposed. So that's not necessarily <laughs> a good business case. And Luis, it, it, you know, is that an experience you've had with your use of Twitter, or, or indeed, do you ever see those kind of criticisms being applied to in organisation, you know, instant messaging or um, or you know, message sharing? Um, no, to be honest with you, I, I haven't seen it, or at least to a degree where it will become worrying or whatever. I think that is is just probably a matter of people how they adjust and how they actually handle um, the information overload, if there is such a thing. And, and I think, you know, uh, to be honest with you, if I, if I would go to any kind of conference where there's a lot of sphere or whatever else, if I wouldn't be able to use Twitter, I probably won't go. As simple as that. I probably won't go. And, and the reason for that is because it helps me, <clears throat> excuse me there, uh, it helps me be more connected with the people who are part of the event, right? So I can have, for instance, that the... One one great example, you know, if you go to a, a rather massive conference like Lotosphere, where there are multiple tracks happening at the same time, uh, having just glimpses of what's happening on tracks that you're not gives you a sense of whether you're on the right one or not, or maybe you should go to the other one, or maybe you learn something new from the stuff that you wanted to be, but unfortunately you cannot clone yourself or whatever else. So having that ubiquity from Twitter is, is something that <clears throat> we probably haven't learned to exploit as much as we probably could. And, and let's face it, you know, in large events, especially in large events, uh, getting to, getting together in Twitter is is a lot faster than even through SMS or even through mobile phone. Um, why? Because eventually I don't have your mobile phone number, but I do have your Twitter ID. And and I was and I was to me it's just about, one tweet. I, I was thinking about this when when it went on, and I, I think there is a hint in the name, right? Twitter is microblogging, um, but the micro I don't necessarily think it just justifies how many characters I can type in. I think it's the, also the life cycle of the communication. So, you know, I, I think people get a bit overawed and think, well, 
this person said X, Y, Z, and and a lot of this was between Stuart and somebody else. So that's why probably why Stuart's keeping quiet on this. Um, right. But my my point is that micro is also the life cycle of that conversation. So it comes, it goes, it allows us to be very vocal. And you'll hear me say at the end of a podcast, you know, my Twitter ideas for my 140 character rants. I don't necessarily think Twitter is a good two form mechanism. But I also don't discount it for being, I think the quote was for high school kids and politicians. I don't think it's that either. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because back then when, when um, I started working for, for IBM uh, in 1997 and a year and a half later, I think it was, we had our first instance of instant messaging in the company. And I remember, I remember being in a particular event in Zurich where one executive, one IBM executive, um, said that instant messaging was just for perverts and young people. <laughs> funny enough, let me, let me funny log enough, off. Fun, hang on for a second, funny enough, within six months, same time was born. I think it's, it's a case in point in there, right? Of, you know, that you're going to have people who are going to be adverse to whatever the technology, and, and one of the things is, is that we are not imposing anyone in here. You know, everyone is using the tools that they feel are better to help them be better connected. To be honest with you, I, I you know, uh, Stuart, meant, Stuart shared that link in there, and, and I, I must confess that I haven't read it fully yet. But uh, if someone would tell me, you know, would you be able to sort of like go by without using Twitter today? My answer would probably be no. It, uh, um, it's so embedded into how I work and how I connect with people that is part of my life. It's part of those micro messages that Darren was mentioning there where you know if I want to have longer conversations I do a Skype call I do a blog I do put together a wiki with other people but if I want to have that micro contact of finding out how people are doing what they're doing what is interesting for them uh, micro sharing and in our case you know externally Twitter will be the case uh, it rules it's the best it's, it's what it does best don't try to do anything else in there because it doesn't work and probably one of the things that we need to do is Go back again that we need to start educating people on how to use Twitter properly because it's not for having lengthy conversations and it's not for engaging in, in stuff that you want to keep track of later and it's not something that you want to have meaningful long-term conversations either, right? So I, I agree with your, with your comments, Darren, there that you know we need to find a tool to do the proper task. And if it doesn't do it, don't bother with it. That's that's all I can say. You know, you will be wasting time and energy from your side uh, and also from the network of people that you're mixing with. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I don't I really don't think that the social web could exist anymore without Twitter. It is absolutely um, embedded into the fabric of not only our work lives, but into our social lives. And, and Luis Suarez is the best example of this for me when. Luis and I had known each other through Twitter um, for almost, I don't even know, for many months. It could have even been a year. And the first time I met him in person, unlike in the past where you would meet a business colleague for the very first time and you would shake hands, oh, it's very nice to meet you. Well, we jumped up and hugged each other because we actually knew each other. We had created a relationship. And that's where Twitter exactly. is absolutely yeah, essential. Okay. And we are creating real relationships via Twitter. No, it's not meant to be a, a long you know, uh, long body copy, you know, prose type of uh, communications medium. But, you know, there are ways that we all work around that. If we have something longer to say, as with this blog post, this this person, I, again, I haven't seen this, but he tweeted, but but he really explained his point of view in a blog post. And we all do that. You know, we don't use Twitter to be that, that you know, 
that form of a communications tool. That's right. Not what you know, you know, exactly. And I'm picking up on, on what Susang is saying. To me, Twitter is my virtual water cooler. That's where I go and hang out with the people that I care about. Right. That uh, they rather they're sharing interesting things or whatever. And uh, they do that 24 hours around the clock. That's that's why it matters to me. Now, obviously, then people would say, OK, but that means that you're spending an awful lot of time on Twitter every day. Uh, actually, I don't. I use probably around 25 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on, on how, easy go, how, the day, how easy the day goes and everything else. But the thing is that I have, I have tweaked it in such a way that every time that I spend on Twitter, I get value out of it. And that's, that's something that I really treasure because it allows me to, like, you know, like Susan mentioned, it allows me to build relationships. So the way Twitter works for me is that probably over 90% of the people that I follow on Twitter are people that I know in person or people that I know in a certain point in time I will meet in person, right? So it gives me an opportunity to build those relationships right there from the beginning. I think Nathan's point is valid though and that was, uh, you know, we do things in a blog post and then comments come on Twitter. Now that is a valid point and I may not be following all the mediums but I think just to ignore it, is, is not the answer. The answer is, you know, if you're building a black brand, be it business, personal, whatever, you know, it's in your vested interest to make sure that all mediums that may have an impact to your brand, that you monitor so you can answer these questions. So you can, you know, you can swap backwards and forwards between the different mediums of whatever social tools you're using. But, but let, me, let me ask you, Daring, uh, is that a polling of Twitter or is that a polling of blogs with regards to commenting? Well, Nathan, who there's a link right. on the show notes, or there will be. It, yeah, it, yeah, I'll I'll go and have a read and do it, and I'll probably blog about it as a response. <laughs> my, 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 I think Nathan's point is it's a problem with Twitter insofar as it you know breeds you know off the cuff comments and and that kind of stuff, which kind of falls right into the water cooler mentality. But I think just to ignore that to say I'm never going to the water cooler because all I hear is off the cuff or third party for hand remarks well you know the, the the long and the short of it is a lot of businesses carried out the water cooler you know because of them remarks right exactly you know because this 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 same conversation and like i said i haven't really get in detail but it reminds me of a number of blog posts that stobo post, posted a, a couple of years back where he was uh, hinting how we're moving into a, 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 a the social web as a flow right where information flows faster than you can even digest. So, you know, the various different social software tools need to make that progression as well. They need to start thinking more about flows than anything else. And unfortunately, a blog does not flow as fast as Twitter does, right? And that's why people, you know, comment on, on blog posts through Twitter than anything else. Now, the important thing is uh, they, you pro if you want to be responding to those comments, you probably need to be in both places because this is not about the tools. This is where your community is. And if your community decides to be on Twitter, you need to be on Twitter. That's the reason why I'm on Twitter. If people would use anything, if my community, my networks would use something different than Twitter, I'll go to where they are. I'm not on Twitter for Twitter. I'm in Twitter because that's where the people that I care about hang out. So in my blog, if they leave comments, I go into my comments and leave comments. If they go and leave comments on Twitter, I leave comments on Twitter. That's what it's all about. It's not, it's, you know, it's moving beyond that concept of the of the tools themselves, but more on the social behavior of how you want to engage further and go where your 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 community is or your network is. Yeah. But like I said, you know, I haven't read the. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go and read the blog post you know, later. 
this reminds me of something that I just posted last week in the council. In a, we, we have an internal blogging uh, mechanism on the Jive platform. Um, and I, I, uh, <laughs> I referenced a, an 80s video, which I'm, I hope you all are aware of who Depeche Mode is. But the, uh, the, I posted the video, people are people. I mean, if you, if you realize that first and foremost, people are not going to change. They haven't changed throughout the century. So you're going to find the um, some of the negatives, you know, uh, parts of our personalities are going to be exposed in every medium. So we just have to learn as a, as a society and as a, a business professional to adapt to these new media so that we can, you know, try to continue to, to, to do our jobs. But if we don't, if we don't adapt, you know, we'll, this stuff will just run us over. Um, but there will be, I mean, look at, look at YouTube. My son is a, is a teenager. I mean, the trolling behavior that goes on. Hello? Yeah. We can hear you. Oh. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, we're, we're always going to see this sort of thing because people are not going to change, but, but I do feel that we need to adapt to the new media to, to actually figure out how to triumph over, you know, the same things that we've been trying to triumph over in the past without any kind of digital or social, you know, connectivity. Hello? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely right. I've stunned you all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you brought the patch mode, and, and I'm sort of like, oh, oh yay! <laughs> Lewis is already off searching YouTube. Downloading the that's that's where I went. Yeah, I made all the the, the members watch it. Although it's funny because I think the uh, I don't know who is who the record label is, but they block it, so you can't. I can't post it within Jive, so they had to go out and watch it. Ironically, on YouTube. So I'm sure there was sure there was a troll out there that was complaining about how they're the worst band ever. So, <laughs> sure. so um, if, if we just move on um, a couple more stories before we wrap up. Uh, first of all, Lotus Fear 2011 is coming very, very soon. For those that are interested, it's about 60 days or so until Lotus Fear. Um, something I'd, I'd be interested in asking you, Luis Suarez, is, is that you, you've been critical sometimes in the past of Lotus Fear not necessarily having the best network and not necessarily kind of helping the social process in terms of some of the things we discussed today, like Twitter and so on. Right. Have you got any tips for the, the organisers of Lotosphere, if, if they were to be listening, in terms of how to make Lotosphere a more social conference? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, probably in, in the sphere of uh, events or whatever, I'm, I'm known and well known as the person who bitches about the wine <laughs> when it goes down. Me too. Um, to be honest with you, to be honest with you, there is a reason for that. There is a reason for that because there are two conferences that actually do it right, and one of them is Defrag in in Denver, and the other one is uh, um, Evento Blog in Seville. Uh, they they actually gather around really large crowds. I mean, the one in Seville that was our last weekend, it had over two thousand people with multiple devices, and it worked flawlessly. And I mean, like the whole weekend long. And I mean, we're talking about people who were very, very heavy users of, of all of these various different tools. So my tip for whoever is in charge of the technology behind Lotosphere 2011, especially for the Wi-Fi, is go and talk to the Defrag folks or to the Eventoblog uh, folks in Seville. I'm happy to do the introductions to get them to get them all nailed down because it is possible to attend a tech conference and have a reliable Wi-Fi connection. I've seen the light, and and to be honest with you, one of the things that that I find as a problem of that is that I don't expect any less than that. If someone has managed to make it happen, there's no excuse for everyone else to make it happen. Just learn and share. Amen. 
and I, and I think that's critical because I think this year we're going to have even more mobile devices at the OGS and uh, throughout the entire right. um, conference. So it's it's definitely going to be more critical than ever this year, or I guess uh, in 2011, that you know networking works. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so we can start putting pressure. <laughs> And, and as somebody who's, who's part of the blogging program at Lotusphere, I mean, it's, it's just desperately difficult when you start a live blog and then suddenly lose your connection after five minutes. It, right. know, it, it doesn't help covering the conference. And so hopefully that will be better this year. I'm, I'm sure it will. Hopefully. Hopefully Great. we'll keep fingers crossed. Great. And something just quickly on Lotusphere is the uh, abstract submissions uh, or acceptances haven't gone out just yet. I understand they will be out in the next few days. So uh, keep looking out for those in uh, in your email. Hopefully they'll drop fairly soon. Um, Darren, one last thing is that um, there was an update from Ed Brill yesterday about the Domino Collaboration Express licensing being updated to allow clustering. Is this going to be a big thing for your customers? It is. So... High availability is expected these days. Now, Domino has a pretty high availability on a single server, but you get, you know, probably five nines if you put it on two servers. So I, I think this is massive. It's been something that customers have been asking for for years. So I want to commend Ed and his team for, for doing this. I had some private conversations with Ed over the past few months, and I thought it was going to be a charge. Um, so it's even better that it's actually gratis. It's free starting January 1st. And from my perspective, it's something that Domino's always been so strong about is, is having very easy to set up, very uh, dynamic clustering uh, set up, you know, up to six servers and so on. And so it, it's always amazing that they would, you know, withdrew that from the users that need it most. The small businesses didn't necessarily have very um, strong enterprise computing uh, capability. And so it's great that that's back in there again. I know there's already a list of, of other things people would like added into those express licenses. So um, we'll see what changes over the over the next few months. That, that's all our news topics done for this week as usual we ask all our panelists to come up with a tip that they're willing to share with you the listener it might be a, a site a technology a, a way of working a um you know a product that, that they can recommend to you that, that you might wish to use in your uh, work life so darren do you want to kick us off uh yes so uh, i do a lot of virtual VMware work. Um, and if you're trying to back up an ESX or an ESXi machine, you know, but it's difficult at best, impossible at worst. There's a product out there called Trilliad or Trilead. I think it's Trilliad. Uh, and it's actually very good for one-time backups of VMs after you've built them if you need to take a, a full backup of a thing. Um, it's free for 10 days and you can keep recycling the key. Or it's very nicely priced. It's like 690 bucks or 450 quid or 520 euros to actually buy the full version that also allows you to schedule a backup. So it's a very, very cost-effective way to backup virtual machines in ESX environments. Great. Thank you very much. Um, uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, if anybody's interested, they can go through that and have a look at the product. Luis Suarez, what's your tip? Well, my tip, um, you know, I think that in the previous episode, I mentioned how I was sharing a number of different um, favorite apps for the iPad, right? Uh, just recently, I started doing as well the same thing for the iPhone since I got the iPhone 4 and have uh, reacquainted myself with some of the really cool applications that I used to have before that I gave up because of my previous iPhone number, whatever. So the tip that I want to share still is one of those um, recommendations from an iPad app. And uh, this time around is one that people are going to love it because it does an amazing job. It's called SoundNote, altogether as one word. And for people who are familiar with the concept of the LiveScribe pen, 
which costs around 150 uh, pounds, I think it was. It does that for less than five bucks on your iPad. So it basically allows you to write notes while you're listening to a presentation, speech, or whatever. It records it and then it aligns and syncs your notes with the speech itself. It's brilliant. It's, it's amazing stuff. Wow, that sounds and, tremendous. And, and less than five bucks. So for the Lotosphere attendees, it's, it's one of those must-have apps for sure. Okay, so that's called SoundNote. Wonderful. Okay, we'll, we'll make yes. sure we, we link to that again on the show notes. Um, and that, that sounds tremendous. I'm certainly going to be downloading that this afternoon. Uh, Luis Benitez, what's your tip? So my tip for the week is um, actually based on something that I blogged last week. So with Lotus Connections 3.0, one of the new things that we added is, is, is CMIS, which uh, is nothing else than uh, some very cool technology that allows you to manage your files from pretty much anywhere you are. So as an example, there's uh, free plugins that let you uh, manage files directly from your Android. So uh, it's another big, big point towards the whole Android versus iPhone uh, battle. And so if you're an Android user, I'm very jealous because now you have <laughs> access to your files directly from your Android device. So check it out. It's over on my blog and, uh, and go play with it. And uh, if you still haven't upgraded to 3.0, you can still use uh, the greenhouse, which has been upgraded now for a couple of weeks. So check it out. Excellent. And um, Luis, you've, you've done quite a lot of work with telling people about this CMIS, CMIS um, ability. Is it something you think is particularly well known? Because being part of the beta program for Connections 3, I had no idea that was in there. It seems amazing. It's kind of slipped through. Yeah. And, and actually, I was looking through the, the, the what's new and, and it wasn't highlighted there either. Um, so not really sure how, you know, how or why that, that, that was left off. Um, but you know, certainly something that I, I think we need to continue to evangelize because it's very, very powerful and it's, it's going to make it a lot easier to integrate with other uh, systems. Wonderful. Okay. And Susan, do you have a tip for us? You know, I wish I did have a great tip, but I'm going to share one that I hope people are familiar with, but they may not be. And if they're not, then that's the person I'm trying to reach. <laughs> um, on the on the iPhone, um, I highly recommend TripIt, which is also obviously um, a web application. But if you've not used TripIt, T-R-I-P-I-T, um, you're really, really missing out if you're traveling because it's so easy to use. And in the palm of your hand, you have your complete itinerary with every um, gate number, well, not gate numbers, but I guess every flight number, every hotel. I mean, it's just amazing. So I would definitely highly recommend TripIt for anyone who's traveling. I would echo that one, Susan. I, I use it all the time. And also uh, Flight Tracker Pro as well, which links into TripIt and, and will alert you about any delays and so on you have at the airport. So that's a great combo. So thank you for that, Susan. And my tip for this week is um, to book for Lotusphere today. Uh, I'm assuming you're going to be listening to this on Friday this week. Um, do book because it's the last day of the early bird discount. Even if you've got some sessions that you submitted and you're hoping to get the free pass through those, still book anyway. It's possible to get a refund um, if you do get a speaker slot so make sure you book make sure you get the discount and uh, hopefully we'll see you there at Lotusphere. however my real tip for this week is i saw a great presentation today on slideshare called a to z the 26 most essential websites for entrepreneurs which is a, a lovely deck which goes through from a to z a to z of all the the sites that would be really good if you're a startup company um tools that you can use ways to find out more about what other people are saying about your company uh, ways in which you can get your marketing 
actually messages out and so on. So do check that out. There's a link to it in the show notes as well worth a read of that one. So once again, we've got to the end of our podcast. We've won well over the hour today, but hopefully you've all enjoyed the content. We've had a a tremendous panel and a a really enjoyable discussion. At least I've enjoyed it. So thank you to all the panellists for taking part. We'll just go around the table one more time. How do people get hold of you if they want to follow up on the conversations we've had today? Luis Suarez, do you want to kick us off? Uh, Yeah, two easy ways. Twitter, E-L-S-U-A, Elsua, or my blog, Elsua.net, E-L-S-U-A dot net. Thank you. And Susan? Uh, definitely ITS Insider, ITS Insider on Twitter. That's the easiest, most efficient way to reach me. Um, I also have an About Me profile now too. But if literally, if you Google my name, you'll see a number of ways to reach me on the web. Excellent. Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us, both of you, Susan, particularly. Thanks for for coming in halfway through and joining the conversation. It's been great to have you on today. Really appreciate that. And Luis Benitez, how do people find you? So the best way is probably through uh, through Twitter, so twitter.com slash elbenitas. And from there, you should be able to to find my blog at elbenitas.com. And Darren, how do people find you? Uh, I'm not a politician, nor am I a high school student. Alas, sob. <laughs> uh, but still, I have a Twitter account, Darren Duke, all one word for my 140-character rants, and blog.darrenduke.net for all things Lotus, BlackBerry, and VMware related. Tremendous. And I can still be found on Twitter, whether I, I put snarky <laughs> remarks or not on there. I'm at Stuart McIntyre, S-T-U-A-R-T-M-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E. So once again, thank you to everybody for taking part. Really appreciate your time today. And until next week, this was This Week in Lotus. Bye. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer.